really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, once again, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, results, great interviews, and just so much more, all about the fantastic world of rugby union. As always, I'm David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it, all over the globe. I follow many different competitions all around the world, and this week I'll be looking at round two of the Six Nations Tournament, week two of MLR 2022, the four makeup matches in the URC, and round 16 of the Gallagher Premiership. Woo, it's quite a bit. We're also only a few weeks away from the start of Super Rugby Pacific, so we're going to be absolutely swimming in rugby pretty soon. If you want to get in touch, by all means, please do so. I always love hearing from you. I can always be found on Twitter, at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram, at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. And you can always just shoot me an email via the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So get in touch whenever and however you like. And with all that admin out of the way, let's get on with the show. <laughs> As always, we start with current updates, and folks, I got some potentially great news at work for a change, right? So as an effective last Wednesday, I am no longer a sub, but a long-term sub until the end of this year, and it, it will be in English, which is kind of my area. I had thought I was transitioning into a different position until just past Tuesday. Um, quite all at once, things shifted dramatically, and I found myself in pretty much exactly the situation I'd been hoping for. Uh, everyone I know who teaches started out as a long-term sub, and who knows, you know, maybe the teacher I'm filling in for, uh, sorry, for whom I am filling in, uh, will decide that she doesn't want to come back at all, which would obviously open a door, and even if not, I finally have the opportunity to show the administrators what I can do, and uh, that could position me very well for the future. So uh, it was a stunner of a meeting. I'm still kind of, it's taking me a while to get truly excited about it, but my friends, I think this is the start of something good. It's been Close to a year and a half since I got laid off, and this represents the single brightest light I have seen since then. Friends, wish me luck and send positive vibes my way. He's stupid! He's stupid! People have to know! No, Isa, sorry. This week I do not have any good news for you. But instead, I have the latest developments from Australia in regards to Super Rugby Pacific. So I, I've linked the article in the show notes, of course. But here's a, a big chunk of what it said. Quote, a media day in Sydney has been blamed for the second wave of COVID-19 that has swept through the Queensland's Reds, uh, the Queensland Reds, Reds Wallabies contingent on the eve of Super Rugby Pacific season. Um, Hunter Paisami, who played in Saturday's trial loss to the Western Force, and new co-captain Tate McDermott are the latest to test positive for the virus. Oh, no. Uh, fellow test stars Jordan, Jordan Pattaya and James O'Connor, as well as fellow back Jock Campbell and coach Brad Thorne were all ruled out of the force clash after showing symptoms before the game at Ballymore. Reds football boss Sam Cordingly said Thorne would likely be able to lead the side in Saturday's final preseason hit out against the New South Wales Waratahs in Roma. He said the Reds were awaiting medical clearance on O'Connor, Pattaya, and Campbell, while, while Paisami and McDermott would definitely not play. So the latest COVID-19 cases come after the bulk of the squad contracted coronavirus earlier this year. Current close contact regulations in Queensland mean there is no necessity for others who played on Saturday to quarantine, while no forced player yet uh, is yet to display symptoms. Accordingly, who said a trip to Sydney last week to shoot promotional footage was likely the cause of the latest COVID-19 infection. Oh my gosh, guys. Said all parties present, uh, presented with minor to mild symptoms. 
While a blow to Reds the Reds' preparations, the ambitions remain lofty for last year's Super Rugby AU champions. Our goal is to have some level of sustained success, accordingly said. So finals at a minimum, I think. We have to put ourselves in a position to win it. Unquote. Ugh, who would have seen this coming? Moving on to thoughts of the week, and, you know, for whatever reason, I just keep thinking about Ben White and his debut for Scotland against England last week. I found myself really just wondering how he was feeling and what he was thinking, and then presto, I found a great article about exactly that. So, of course, it's linked in the show notes, as always. The Wales Online article read in part, quote, Ben White has described his early try-scoring debut cameo for Scotland as the best 10 minutes of his life. The 23-year-old London Irish scrum half in the squad for the very first time was called into action after just 12 minutes of Saturday's Calcutta Cup match against England when Ali Price had to go off for a head injury assessment. White enjoyed a dream introduction to international rugby as he scored a try within five minutes of entering the action and then departed the field shortly afterwards when Price was deemed ready to return. It proved a crucial score in a narrow 20-17 victory for the Scots. When I came off the pitch and was back sitting on the bench, some of the lads were like, how was it? And I was like, it was the best 10 minutes of my life, said White. Getting on like that so early in the game was good because it took away the nerves and the anxiety of waiting until the last 20 to get on there. To be thrown in at the deep end was almost like a good thing because you just go out and do your job. It was an incredible experience. Words cannot do it justice. It was absolutely amazing. The stadium was electric. It was incredible. Unquote. So I'm dovetailing this with my current updates in that I'm about to get my debut, my 10 minutes, uh, but as a teacher rather than an athlete. However, in both cases, you never know when that opportunity is going to show up. And when it does, you've got to be ready to go out there and smash it. Okay, moving on to our reviews, and there are obviously quite a few this week. We're going to start with Six Nations, and wow. I mean, just just wow. As always, only two of the three Six Nations fixtures were really likely to hold anyone's attention, but the two this week, are you kidding me? On Saturday, we started with a match seemingly designed just to test the limits of my personal blood pressure, followed by a match that most of the rugby world seemed to think would define and perhaps preordain the eventual champions. Former Ireland coach Eddie O'Sullivan says this week's match between Andy Farrell's side and France is key to deciding the 2022 Six Nations winners. Ireland made it nine wins in a row by beating Wales 29-7 in Dublin on Saturday, with the French defeating Italy 37-10 in Paris the following day. Quote, this is probably the crunch game of the tournament. I think these are the two, the best two teams, unquote, said O'Sullivan. Whoever wins this one will be eyeing the championship for sure. Uh, he goes on to say, if you look at the level of rugby Ireland and France, uh, if you look at the level of rugby Ireland and France are playing at the moment, I think they are the pick of the crop, he told BBC Radio Ulster's Sports Ground Extra Time. So we started the day with Wales versus Scotland. All the chatter I heard leading up was saying Wales would win, and in some cases that they'd win fairly easily. Um, learned later that no, the bookies did not agree with that, so it must be the selection of what I'm listening to. <laughs> Uh, historically, Wales have in fact had Scotland's number, with the sides clashing 126 times total since their first ever match in 1883. Over that time, it's been effectively a 3-2 margin of victory for the Welsh, with their side winning 74 to Scotland's 50, with three of those matches drawn. Last year, Scotland oh so painfully lost a one-pointer to the soon-to-be champs, but that was at Murrayfield, not in Cardiff. In 2020, Scotland won, but that was also a match not played at the Millennium Stadium, with the Scots taking a 10-14 away win at Parky Scarlets. But if you look at the record at the Millennium, and if you believe history is an indicator of the future, it looked a tough hill to climb for the Scots. In fact, the last 10 times Scotland have taken on Wales at that particular venue, Wales have come out victorious every single time. 
This week, I was very much looking for a reversal of fortunes. I mean, they can't win every time, right? Right? Uh, Scotland did manage to last win there in Gulp, April of 2002. So it's not like it's been 20 years or anything. Oh. Well, obviously, this week we will not have special guests to go on and on about what a great Scotland performance we had because, well, there wasn't one. Wales got a much-needed victory, continuing their streak at home against the Scots, the final score ending up 20-17. to Newly minted captain Dan Bigger was the difference between the sides in the end, with his drop goal winning it for Wales at the 69th minute. Both sides were incredibly tough defensively, but when Finn got Sinbin for an, international, uh, an, international, for an intentional knock-on, to me it felt like game over at that point. Darcy Graham, he looked incredible again. The score he got in the corner was an absolute thing of beauty. I was hoping that would set the tone for the rest of the day, but it turned out to be an exception rather than the rule. It was a tough one to watch for me, I gotta say, um, but that's, you know, that's the way it goes sometimes. Very much worthy of note on the Welsh side was eventual player of the match, Ryan, I think it's Elias, uh, who really did it all for his team. As they say on the official website, quote, Ryan Elias was immense in both defense and attack and took the Six Nations player of the match award in an impressive display from the Wales hooker. Unquote. His 12 carries often gave uh, Wales the front foot ball, while on defense he was a constant nuisance, making six tackles as well as one turnover as Wales took home the Dottie Weir Cup. Ugh, another dagger in my heart. So this one had to be a real confidence booster for Wales, and this tournament just got very interesting indeed. Next up, though, France versus Ireland. What a match this one looked to be. Again, looking at the history, France have noticeably outperformed Ireland head-to-head, and I just learned that they have played exactly 100 times beginning in 1909. I can't believe nobody mentioned that the last time they met. There was no, by the way, this is number 99. Come on, guys. All in all, France have won 58, Ireland 35, with seven draws making up the difference. And yeah, I know, it doesn't sound like those numbers make up 100, but they do. So if you arbitrarily look at the last uh, six test matches, you'll see that they are evenly matched, three wins apiece. But if you look back three more than that, it's all Ireland. I honestly had no idea who's going to win this one, but I was just super jazzed, more so than maybe the, the, the July tests this past summer. Anywho, the match itself was another close one most of the way, but France would prove too much for the Irish, coming out victors 30-24 to 24, thanks to fireworks from Antoine Dupont and the reliable boot of Melvin Geminet. Dupont's incredible try came faster than Ireland have ever conceded a try in the history of Six Nations, while Geminet made all six penalty opportunities without a miss. Ireland did get three tries to France's two, converting all three of them, but Chaminet's string of penalty kicks would prove enough in Paris, where Ireland, uh, Ireland, Ireland haven't won since Johnny Sexton, obviously not on the pitch today, scored a famous drop goal for an Irish win. So, France are the only two-win team after two rounds. The possibility of a Grand Slam is surely going to be the conversation heading into the off week. Pardon the alliteration, but friends, France look frightening for sure. Okay, on Sunday, it was Italy versus England. Italy have never beaten the English in the entire history of this competition. I did not think there was a lot of money going down to on that changing this year. Um, the English held Italy scoreless in the first half, taking a 21-point lead. And the second half was much the same, though England had a harder time actually manufacturing points. The final score, a very convincing nil to 33 shutout win in Rome. They really need to switch this format and put the Italian matches first, because the, the two, these two Sundays in a row have just been pretty dismal and entirely without any real competition. England's scoring came entirely from tries, of which they got five, converting four of them. Italy's scoring came, of course, from... Oh, oh wait, it didn't. 
Uh, Jamie George got himself a brace of tries while Marcus Smith, Elliot Daly, and Kyle Sinkler nabbed the other three for England. Marwa Toje appeared to have gotten one as well, but it ended up being disallowed. In what must constitute good news for the future, however, the Italian under-20 squad, who also are playing in their separate Six Nations tournament, they defeated their English opponents on Friday for the first time in their history. So maybe things will be better given a few years. Other than that, honestly, just not a lot to talk about for this one. So after round two, France are on top, just absolute top of the class. They've got their two wins. They've got nine points on the table. England and Ireland each have six points, Scotland five, and Wales four, and Italy, yeah, of course, have yet to get off the mark. So they are all off next week, returning to action on February 26th and 27th. Round three will feature Scotland hosting France, so I might need to practice throwing up in my own mouth. Uh, England are back home for an exciting clash with Wales, and Ireland have a bye week. I mean, they'll be playing Italy in Dublin for what will suspiciously look like a bye week. So moving on to Major League Rugby. A bit of an odd schedule this week for MLR, including a Thursday fixture between the Utah Warriors, who will be facing the uh, the Seawolves in Seattle. Seattle won a very close one to open the season. Uh, and you got to wonder if this is their, you know, maybe renaissance season. Final score in this one was 20-17, to 17, and Seattle looked pretty good to me, even though it was close. Next up, we had a Friday matchup with the reigning champs from L.A. going to Starlight Stadium, just a few minutes from historic old Toronto, where the Arrows hosted their first home game since... Wait for it. June of 2019. What an atmosphere for this one. Sadly, the home team weren't up to the task, even with the momentum behind them. The team from L.A. made up for their stumbles last week, taking down the arrows 16-31 to all told. On Saturday, San Diego were home, uh, were home to face Dallas. And give them credit, Dallas looked a lot better than they did in their debut last week. Um, but the Legion looked like they mean business, and that is what they took care of. It was 37-29 to in the end, that one. The Houston Thundercats, oh, got their second consecutive home game this week facing the no longer United team from New Jersey, but they dropped a very winnable low-scoring affair with Hoboken RFC coming out on top 7-10. to Ugh, not a pretty sight. NOLA also got their second home to start the uh, game to start the year. They faced visiting Atlanta, but things did not get any easier for them this week. They lost to the team of, uh, from Georgia 9-14, to taking them to 0-2 on the season. I think they're probably feeling the shock of that one. Finally, Austin were also at home welcoming Old Glory DC, and DC's woes also continued, getting absolutely smashed to the order of 57 to 12. Lots of weird final scores this week. So my beloved Free Jacks, they had an early bye, uh, bye week this week. So after round two, we're looking at Austin, San Diego, and Seattle in the West are all 2-0, with Austin racking up 100 points in just two matches. That could be a warning shot for the rest of the league. While over in the East, only Atlanta, my Free Jacks, and the disjointed New Jersey are undefeated. Uh, out of both conferences, nobody is close to Austin's early point total, with Atlanta and San Diego being closest, with 69 and 68 points, respectively. Utah, Dallas, New Orleans, Toronto, and D.C. are all winless over two matches, and things are already starting to take shape in this league. Okay, over in the Irk, it was makeup round time. And Friday, we saw the makeup fixtures between Edinburgh and Leinster, as well as Glasgow versus Munster, and I have to say, that was a bit unfair by the URC. I've decided to mention but not dwell on it because you may have heard there's a pandemic out there and basically nothing is in its ideal form. We're all struggling and trying to make do the best we can. That being said, with Scotland and Ireland both on international duty for Six Nations, all four of these teams were significantly depleted while no Italian teams had to field squads, no Welsh teams had to field squads. So it is a fact that these four teams have a strategic disadvantage. With Edinburgh and Leinster both close to or at the top of the standings, this could be a pretty big deal. However, 
I know finding dates is next to impossible. I can't honestly say I've come up with a better idea. It's still better than canceling, so, you know, mini rant over. Anyway, Leinster versus Edinburgh went very badly for the visitors, who couldn't score a single point until about the 75-minute mark. Leinster's defense was stunning, just a relentless blue wall that never showed any cracks until Buffelli was able to use his deceptive pace to simply outrun three different defenders. How good is he, by the way? Like, there's something almost weird about watching him because his his legs don't move really rapidly. Like, when you're watching Cheslin Colbe, it's like his legs are just moving faster than everybody else's. It's almost like he just gets more power out of them, so he uses fewer strides and just completely blows your doors off. It's, it's really a sight to behold. It's amazing. But as Edinburgh pounded and pounded out the door with plenty of what would normally be opportunities, the Cubs said, they just haven't found the gap. And yeah, that's because there wasn't one. Leinster scored a pair of converted tries in the first maybe 30 minutes. Then they kind of went cold, and it wasn't until late that they scored their bonus point try, winning in the end 29-7. to Hardly any crowd there. I'm not sure why that was. There's a lot of back and forth with that this week. Glasgow versus Munster. Oh my gosh, with the rain and torrents coming down, it was just abominable out there. But I'm going to reach out to my pal John Anderson to discuss his beloved Warriors' decisive, emphatic, devastating win. Oh, what? No. Not any of those things. But a win is a win, especially in the bogs, you know? So, Saturday, we had the disappointing Lions welcoming the suddenly explosive Stormers. And true to form, the Lions looked completely overmatched to the tune of 10 to 32, a result that would have them, uh, would have seemed absolutely shocking just a year or so ago. Um, something has to give with this team. There's just no way their management management will let this continue. Like I say, expect some sort of big shakeup in the near future, and you heard it here first. Or maybe like third or fourth through seventh, maybe twelfth. Uh, anyway, the tail of the tackles had the Lions on the losing side 23 to 11, and considering uh, that, that was percentage, of course, by the way, and considering they only made 73, well, they just weren't in the business of stopping anyone, were they? And then it was the Bulls hosting the Sharks at Loftus Versfeld, and the final score made it look much more exciting than it was. It was not actually much or any fun to watch. The visitors winning by a converted try was 22 to 29, but that was only with two late scores for the home side. Definitely a first half loaded kind of match. So with these four makeup games in the books, the ERC table looks a little more balanced. Ulster are now on top of the league. They've got 36 points through 10 appearances, followed by Leinster, Glasgow, and Edinburgh with 35, 35, and 34 points. Though Leinster have only played nine matches, so danger time. Ah, there are a few other teams with only nine games to date, including Munster, the Stormers, Benetton, the Sharks, the Bulls, and the Lions. And somehow, Dragons have played eight, and Cardiff, Scarlets, and Zebrae have played seven. In the case of Zebrae, I don't necessarily think more games is going to help. Okay, kicking it over to the Prem on Friday. Bristol were at home to face London Irish, and this one would be another tale of two halves, with London Irish down and, and down a man going into the second half before they scored four unanswered tries and got a Bristol player red-carded, just a complete reversal of fortune. With 15 minutes to go, the Bears looked utterly shell-shocked, finding themselves down 15-39. to 39. It was weird, with the announcer on the, the stadium PA, he kept cheerily announcing each score, even as the game was getting completely out of hand. It's like it's like he wasn't sure who was winning. It was just bizarre. In the blink of an eye, after scoring and converting a try, Patty Jackson was back on the tee, and it was 15-42 to 42 going into the final 10 minutes. Wherefore art thou, Bristol? To their credit, they then scored two tries in two minutes. That got themselves a bonus point for the fourth score, but it was just nowhere near enough to salvage their disappointing day. London Irish had plenty, uh, pretty much stopped playing defense at that point, and they didn't seem at all concerned as the Bears got their third in just about four minutes. 
as the last one came with the clock in the red. It ended in a very deceptive 32-49 to 49 fashion, a very strange match. And Bristol, are they the most schizophrenic team in the Prem right now? I mean, what gives? Okay, moving on. Leicester were at home to face Northampton. This one looked very tasty to me. The matchup saw Rory Hutchinson getting his 100th appearance for his visiting side. Much bigger crowd of this one as, as well. I, I honestly can't figure out what's up with that this week. And on the other side, Dan Cole was making his 206th appearance in the Prem in general. What an absolute class act he is. Early on, Alex Mitchell did his stutter st- uh, this stutter step move that literally made a, fen- a defender just fall over. I- I'm not even exaggerating. He just pulled him out of his shoes and left him on the ground. It was an unreal juke move. You've got to go look at the highlights. This one was redonk. It was like Allen Iverson level juke. Practice? We're talking about practice, man. We're, talk- We're talking about practice. We're talking about practice. We ain't talking about the game. We're talking about practice, man. When you- By the way, while looking for that clip that I just played, I ended up watching that whole famous rant. I have to say, it's a lot more reasonable than you might actually remember. Iverson was absolutely vilified for it at the time and and since then, but I think it might be time to revisit how he's been viewed historically. Anyway, Nemanja Nadolo, he answered, oh my gosh, that guy. Every week, it's like I've somehow magically forgotten that he exists and that he's going to be out there, and then I see him and I visibly am like, ah! Like, oh my gosh, he's unbelievable. Some incredible footwork from uh, Lester. They just looked so very comfortable and confident, sometimes playing from fairly deep. Very fun to watch. It was nice. Nadolo, he scored another one, just brushing off Mitchell like he was a paper doll and clearly relishing it a little bit too. And a nice little smile on his face. Ugo Manya had just been saying how hungry he looked tonight. And oh, yes, it might be a tough night for the Saints. 17-5 to in the early second quarter. And there were some players with just so much blood pouring down their faces. It looked like a World War II field hospital out there. So Nadolo. He, he was just a house on fire, even, even putting in a sweet little rubber kick that fooled even the comms until they see the replay and just sublime things coming on, going on this evening for him. Montoja, he got the third try in 30 minutes for the Tigers, and the door looks close to slamming on uh, Northampton just 10 minutes before halftime. It was 22 to 10. But because my writing things like that clearly reverberates through the entire universe, the Saints got an absolutely brilliant try right after that. Even the dive into the end zone was special. Quote, that 10 seconds of rugby is as good as it gets, unquote, says Ugo. And as usual, he's right. Going into the second half, Lester finished off the last seven minutes of a yellow card while adding a kick to make it 25 to 10. Oh, man, a clearing kick almost hit the camera that was covering it. That would have been so cool. It's got to happen at some point, right? Anyone out there with a clip of that, please send them. I, I want to see that. It's going to be so funny. Anyway. The pitch started to really deteriorate to the point that Bath players started showing up thinking that they were late to work. Hardy, har, har. Northampton, they got three back, but the tide still looked very much against them. There was one of those great moments where a player is shown in slow motion, clearly dropping an F-bomb at the top of his lungs. But the the comms feel compelled to say things like, well, you don't have to be an expert lip reader to get that. So sorry. (laughs) I love that crap. It's great. So as Lester gets their bonus point try, I finally realized that they were shooting off fireworks every single time they scored a try. Is is that maybe a bit much, guys? I don't know. Maybe it's better than pyrotechnics inside the actual venue. Maybe they're ahead of the whatever that curve is. But anyway, it was 32-13 to 13 with only the last quarter to play. 
with only a couple minutes left. The comms all seemed surprised that the Tigers were going for the corner rather than taking a kick. And I thought, yeah, the game's out of reach anyway, and the corner means more time off the clock. Seemed very clear to me. I was confused by that commentary. Uh, commentary. Obviously, I understand, <laughs> I understand this game much better than Ugo Manya and Andy Good. obviously. That, that, the problem is obviously them, not me. Right? No. Anyway, that was the end. It was 35 to 20 all told. Wow, that was a lot of notes for one match. I promise that won't continue. Warning, not a promise. Anyway, on Saturday, Exeter, they were back at home to face Gloucester. Okay, is this Gloucester's year has become kind of a joke among rugby pundits simply because of how many years in a row it's been said. However, this year, they're definitely pulling us in, right? And this matchup against a top team like Exeter, I thought, okay, this, this might tell us a lot. Looking at the starting lineups, I was a little concerned, but the Cherry and Whites, who like to wear baby blue, they've been full of surprises this year, so I was keen to let it unfold. As it turned out, a rather boring one, this, with both sides managing only an unconverted try apiece well into the second half. The yellow card then went to Billy 12 Trees, and I had to hope that would change the complexion of the game for better or for worse. I mean, it had to get better because it couldn't have gotten any worse. <laughs> Again, responding mystically to my actual note-taking, Chiefs scored themselves a try, followed by doing that damn tomahawk chant thing. I just don't get it. To be honest, this one got a bit boring. I did the thing I've promised myself not to do, which is work on work stuff while I was supposed to be enjoying my weekend. However, given that I'm crapping myself over, over how things are going to go for me on Monday, I'm giving myself a pass on this one. Plus, I got everything done, and the game was, in fact, quite boring. Gloucester, they couldn't score a single point after they got that early try. It was 17-5 to at the three-quarter mark. The home side would get another converted try, and that would tell the full tale. 24-15 was the end score for this one. Kind of a crap match, I have to say. Next up was Sale. They were at home for Worcester. So I recently saw some stuff from a website called rugbyforecast.com. That's the number four, where they predict the outcome of basically every match you can imagine. And for this, this one, I got to tell you, their assessment gave Worcester a 5.7% chance to win. That was the slimmest chance they listed for the entire weekend outside of Italy facing England. Yikes. Naturally, Worcester looked like they wanted to confound the statisticians. As late as 48 minutes in, they held on to a slim lead. However, that would be pretty much that. Sale quickly put together a pair of scores to go up and get their bonus point. It was 22-12 to 12, heading into the final quarter of play. And then some quick, uh, quick thinking by Rafi Quirk got them another only moments later. Sale got their lead up all the way to 24 with Worcester scoring nothing more, and the result was, I suppose, predictable. 36-12 to 12, all told. Manu Tuolagi, he got his first try of the season, which was just so nice to see. That guy, he is truly special. Side note, the comms referred to A.J. McGinty and said, the man they call Aj, which is something I heard, like, three years ago, maybe four years ago. I, I heard people say, oh, if you know A.J., you know that you call him Aj. And then I heard an interview with him, and they asked him about it, and he was like, no, no, nobody calls me Aj. I hate that. I don't know where that started. He's mystified by it. Come on, Combs. Just because he's American doesn't mean you don't have to do your research. Come on. Wasps versus Bath was tightly contested, if not a thing of beauty. It was also a great reminder of just how much talent remains in this league, even during Six Nations windows. Alfie Barbary being a prime example. What a player. After 50 minutes, the home team were trailing. Uh, it was 17 to 21, despite a red card for the visitors. And I got to say, Nathan Hughes, he's rediscovered some of his best form in his latest opportunity there with Bath. Great to see him playing well. I've always loved watching him, and I couldn't figure out what was going on with him there the last few months. Uh, down a man, Bath got another uh, penalty to stretch their lead to seven. 
and they looked to ice it in the final 15 minutes. However, silly me, Wasps have been comeback specialists lately. And with Bath adding another yellow card to their disadvantage, a dog who smashed one down in the corner with Gopperth making the conversion to tie it up with only 10 minutes to play. Quote, forget the Six Nations. This is the biggest show in town, unquote, shrieks the comps. <laughs> the guy they got, by the way, I think I've heard him in Super Rugby before. He he does that thing where he picks moments to just get louder, and it doesn't always correspond to what he's saying. So he'll be like, and Pally, well, dog was out there, and he scores a try. It's it's a really weird uh, pattern of speech, but I, I'm here for it. Um, about 30 seconds later, speaking of which, Palo Odogwu got another one in the exact same spot, giving Wasps the lead and a bonus point. Odogwu then came within inches of a hat trick, but Alfie reaped the rewards again in the same corner spot, suddenly putting Wasps up by 10. What a turnaround. Bath, they're just having a nightmare of a season. Holy cow. Nathan Hughes prevented what looked to be a certain try with only a minute to go, but Barbary got himself a brace as the clock went red, really sticking it to Bath. At the end, think about this, the score went from 17 to 24 down with about 10 minutes to go to 41 to 24 at the end. Just a stunner. Okay, we're almost there, folks. Sunday. I think there was just only the one on Sunday. And it was Saracens versus Harlequins, and I said, hey, another mascot sighting. As they were showing the starting lineups, by the way, three, count of three, Vunipolas are starting for Saracens. How many are there? And and by the way, doesn't it look like Mako, he, doesn't he kind of look like he was a wax statue of a rugby player that somebody left way too close to a heater? Kind of looks melted. Anyway, they showed a wide shot of the pitch while they're doing the, uh, the starting lineups. And sure enough, there was a mascot of some sort out there kind of waving his arms around. I have never spotted a mascot at Saracens all these years. It's such a surprise. And I'm slowly learning. That, and I wrote down, does every team have a mascot? I looked him up and I discovered that that mascot is Sari the Camel, which absolutely cracked me up. He looks like a cigarette ad from the days of yore. So if you guys know me by now at all, you will have guessed that I did in fact go look it up. And I found that, yes, there are 12 mascots in the prem. I can't believe how long it's taken me to notice this. So you've got Brizzly Bear for Bristol. You've got Sharky the Shark at South. Come on, guys. You couldn't do better than Sharky? Like, you got down at the table and you're like, anyone have any ideas? And somebody said Sharky, and you were like, done. So meanwhile, we've got Maximus. He's uh, Worcester's representative warrior. We've got Harley the Bear for Harlequins. Sting the Wasp, though I wish, they, I think they should call him Gordon, just as a little nod to actual Sting the person. Exeter, of course, had their notorious uh, big chief mascot until a couple of years ago. Then they replaced him, uh, though they seem to deny it now, by the at least equally questionable Tom O'Hawk, who lasted all of, what, four minutes? Uh, not sure what they're doing this year. I'm actually curious about that now because the website I found didn't have anything new. So you've also got Kingsley, the lion for Gloucester. There's Welford, the, the Leicester Tiger. There's Flash, the Newcastle Falcon, who looks eerily like the gimp from Pulp Fiction. There's Bernie, the inexplicable dog mascot for the Saints. And as I just mentioned, Sari, the camel. Obviously, none of them hold a candle compared to Woogie. Anyway, I've climbed back out of that particular rabbit hole. Sorry about that. It didn't take Saracens long to score their first try. Both of these teams are massive, even when they're missing players for international duty. So much depth. Then, Dumbledore, Dumbledore's older brother, Danny Kerr, he answered back and Harlequins had their first lead. The affair was tied at the break with Saracens edging in front by a couple of penalties heading into the final quarter of play. Given their recent history, it kind of felt preordained that Quinns would score a winning try right at the end, 
but it went the other way with Saracen's dominant scrum allowing them to put it away as the clock ran out. It was 19 to 10 at the final. What a weekend. By the way, that's still left enough time to watch the Super Bowl. Okay, that brings us to our highly coveted Diamond in the Ruck Award. And this week, I'm giving it to Paolo Odogwu. Mr. Odogwu, your breathtaking pace, your shocking physical strength, helped power your wasps to a stunning come-from-behind victory. You practically wore a hole in the pitch by dotting down tries in the same spot what felt like over and over and over again. Your ability to sidestep one defender while fending off another makes you just so dangerous out there. And it always seems like it takes three opponents just to bring you down minimum. Your team's three-game win streak is in large part thanks to your stellar play. And if you guys manage to win again next week, it'll be the best streak since the year you made it all the way to the finals. Paolo Odogwu, congrats to you, you lucky man, for you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck. Great work. Okay, that brings us to the previews, and next week, starting with Six Nations, there is no Six Nations. That's right, after the first two rounds, I think you got to go take a little nap. We're going to go rest up, take you know, take a load off those feet, maybe, maybe shower off those cleats a little bit. That action will, of course, pick up again on February 26th and 27th. Stay tuned for a nice little mini preview between now and then, unsurprisingly. Uh, Major League Rugby, round three, kicks off on Friday with a beauty, with the mighty New England Free Jacks, undefeated taking their show on the road to D.C. to take on Old Glory. That'll be tasty. On Saturday, Rugby ATL, they're going to host the team from New Jersey. Nola Gold, who clearly bribed the league in some way, get their third consecutive home game to start the year, and they will be welcoming the Toronto Arrows to the gold mine. So unless it's a draw, one of these two teams will get their first win of the year. Dallas will have their second Texas Derby of the year as they host the Houston Thundercats. Ho! Austin will be at home for the Utah Warriors. And finally, San Diego are at home to face off against Seattle. That should be really good, folks. If if you weren't, you know, in at the very beginning, you might not even be aware, like, San Diego and Seattle were the dominant teams in Major League Rugby for the first year, probably two years, and both look really good this year. I think uh, this is a resurgent year. That should tell us a lot about how the story of MLR 2022 is going to go. Meanwhile, the URC gets back in full swing on Friday. It'll be Cardiff versus Zebra. But on the same day, it'll also be Munster versus Edinburgh. That should be really good. While on the Saturday, you've got Leinster hosting Ospreys. Ospreys might as well just throw in the towel now. Uh, Scarlets facing Connacht go Connacht. And, of course, Glasgow facing Benetton. I think that might be a, a, a tougher test than they, they necessarily think it's going to be on paper. Benetton, I think, are not to be played with this year. Finally, on Sunday, it'll be the Dragons versus currently league-leading Ulster. That should be a nice one as well. I'm really excited for that. Then, of course, to wrap up the weekend in the Prem, we got the one Friday night game. That'll be Worcester Warriors hosting the Bears. On Saturday, we have several. We've got Bath at home for Leicester Tigers. Harlequins will be hosting Wasps. Wow, battle of the comeback kids. I can't wait to see that one. London Irish will be at home for Saracens. Northampton Saints will be facing the Sale Sharks. And then on Sunday, to cap it all off, Newcastle Falcons will be home to face the Exeter Chiefs. Woo! That's a lot of rugby. <laughs> Well, my friends, 
That does it for another week. Thank you so much for listening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for reaching out. It's always great to hear from you. If you would like to get in touch, absolutely do so. It would be great. You can just use Twitter. I'm at Scrum. You can always use Instagram. I'm at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. And you can always just old-fashioned it up and send me an email at thescrumoftheearth at gmail.com. If you can bring yourself to drop me a nice review, that would please me to know it. And if you like what we're doing here, there is at least one way you can show your support listed in the show notes for this episode. Everybody, sincerely, thank you so much for coming along. To all of you across the globe, cheers. Talk to you soon and be well. Anybody tell you that I miss practice, if, 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 if a coach say I miss practice and y'all hear it, then that's that. I mean, I might have missed one practice this year. But if if somebody say he doesn't come to practice, it can be one practice. Out of all the practices this year, that's enough. If I can't practice, I can't practice, man. I'm hurt, I'm hurt. I mean, simple as that. It ain't about that. I mean, it's, it's not about that at all. You know what I'm saying? I mean... But it's 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 easy to, to to talk about. It's easy to sum it up when you just talk about practice. We sitting here. I supposed to be the franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. I mean, it, listen, we're talking about practice, not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice, not a game, not a, not not the game that I go out there and and die for and play every game like it's my last. Not the game. We're talking about practice, man. I mean, how silly is that, man? We're talking about practice. I know I'm supposed to be there. I know I'm supposed to lead by example. I know that. And I'm not I'm not shoving it aside, you know, like it don't mean anything. I know it's important. I do. I honestly do. But we're talking about practice, man. What are we talking about? Practice? We're talking about practice, man. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about practice. We're talking about practice. We ain't talking about the game. We're talking about practice, man. When you come into the arena and you see me play, you see me play, don't you? Absolutely. You see me give everything I got, right? Absolutely. But we talking about practice right now. We talking about practice. Man, I look, I hear you. I, it's funny to me too. I, I mean, it's strange. It's strange to me too. But we talking about practice, man. We're not even talking about the game, the actual game, when it matters. We're talking about practice. Alan, the cultural variables come in sometimes. If you practice, not you would be better, but your teammates. How the hell can I make my teammates better by practicing?